Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Washington University Emergency Medicine Journal Club podcast, October 2016. Last month's topic was blood pressure management in spontaneous intracerebral hemorrhage. So we're basically talking about those intraparenchymal bleeds, what's often called the hemorrhagic stroke. You know, optimal management of blood pressure in these patients is a little bit complicated. There's the balance between increasing hematoma size when the blood pressure is high and cerebral perfusion if you drop the blood pressure too low. At least that's the theoretical balance that we have to worry about. There's been an association shown between maximum systolic blood pressure and hematoma enlargement. On the other hand, we know that if you drop the blood pressure too much that you will impair cerebral blood flow to the area that's affected. So figuring out what the optimal blood pressure or optimal maximal systolic blood pressure is for these patients is a little bit complicated. In 2010, the AHA guidelines for management of intracerebral hemorrhage suggested that in patients with significantly elevated blood pressure, those with a systolic greater than 180 or a MAP greater than 130, that a, quote, modest reduction, end quote, in blood pressure should be considered. They define that by a systolic less than 160 and a MAP less than 110. This was a little bit arbitrary. Uh, why 160? Why 110? Uh, why 180? So a group of investigators decided to look at this, and they came out with the Interact 2 trial. And this was published in 2013, and the actual title of the article is Rapid Blood Pressure Lowering in Patients with Acute Intracerebral Hemorrhage. This came out in the New England Journal of Medicine, like I said, 2013. This was an international multicenter prospective randomized trial conducted from October 2008 till August of 2012. This was conducted at 144 hospitals in 21 different countries, so pretty broad sweeping investigation. They enrolled patients with spontaneous intracerebral hemorrhage on CT or MRI who had a systolic blood pressure between 150 and 220 and in whom they could start lowering blood pressure within six hours of symptom onset. And the idea there is that a lot of hematoma growth occurs within those first few hours. So those are the patients that you really want to start trying to lower blood pressure in, the ones that you get within a few hours of symptom onset. They randomized patients to either an intensive blood pressure management group where the goal was to obtain a systolic blood pressure of less than 140 within an hour of randomization and to try and keep it there for the next seven days, or patients were randomized to the guideline recommended group where they were to receive blood pressure or lowering treatment only if their systolic blood pressure was greater than 180. They didn't stipulate a lower level for blood pressure management in the guideline recommended group. Now, their primary outcome in this study was this modified Rankin scale that we've seen in some articles before. This is basically a functional assessment score uh, that ranges from zero to six, where zero is no symptoms at all, six is dead, And then in between, you have varying degrees of disability. For this study, they considered a bad outcome to be a modified Rankin scale score of 3 to 5. Obviously, they left out 6 because that's dead. Uh, At 90 days after randomization, that was the primary outcome. Now, after the data was collected, but before they did their analysis, they decided to do what's called an ordinal analysis of the modified Rankin score across all seven levels. This is basically what they did in the IST3 trial. They decided to do this after the data was collected. They do specify that this was a post hoc analysis, 
and is not the primary outcome. They didn't change their primary outcome, fortunately. What this ordinal analysis does is it allows you to detect shifts in the score rather than using a specific cutoff. So if you went from a zero at baseline to a one afterwards versus a two versus a three, it, it takes into account all those differences. So it's a, a much more specific way of looking at it. On the other hand, if you find a difference, it's a little tougher to quantify that difference. So if one group does better than the other in the ordinal analysis, uh, it's hard to conceptualize what that would mean clinically. So they enrolled 2,839 patients, uh, mean age of 63 years, and about 63% were male. 1,403 patients were assigned to the early intensive treatment and 1,436 to the guideline recommended treatment. And this was an unblinded trial. Obviously, this is not something that you could blind, so a little potential for bias there. What they found was for the primary outcome, so for a modified Rankin scale score of 3 to 5 at 90 days, the event occurred in 719 patients in the intensive treatment group and 785 in the standard treatment group. So that's 52% versus 55.6% odds ratio 0.87 with a 95% confidence interval from 0.75 to 1.01. So it does cross one, but it barely does so. It seems to be at least a trend towards an improvement in the outcome in the patients receiving intensive treatment. When they looked at the ordinal analysis, they did find a significant shift towards improved outcomes in the intensive treatment group. Uh, again, an odds ratio of 0.87, but this time the confidence interval goes from 0.77 to 1.00. So by doing that ordinal analysis, they narrowed it just enough that it achieves quote-unquote statistical significance. All-cause mortality was the same between the two groups, right at about 12% in both groups, uh, as was uh, mortality attributed to the intracranial hemorrhage itself. And then no difference in duration of hospital stay, residence in a residential care facility at 90 days, modified Rankin scale score at 7 and 28 days, and serious adverse events. So unlike the IST3 trial where the authors determined that it was a positive study based on the secondary ordinal analysis, despite a negative outcome with the primary outcome, these authors went the other way and said that it in fact was a negative study, that intensive lowering of blood pressure did not result in a significant reduction in the rate of the primary outcome of death or severe disability. So the ordinal analysis was positive and may lead to people doing more studies, but for now, uh, the INTERACT-2 trial was a negative study. Now, around the same time that the INTERACT-2 trial came out, there was a study called the ICH-ADAPT trial. This was the Intracerebral Hemorrhage Acutely Decreasing Arterial Pressure Trial that came out in Stroke in 2013. This was a multicenter prospective randomized, again, open-label trial uh, conducted between 2007-2011, again, looking at patients with spontaneous intracerebral hemorrhage. But rather than looking at clinical outcomes, these guys actually wanted to look at what happened to relative cerebral blood flow. So what happens to cerebral blood flow when you lower blood pressure? They randomized patients to either a target systolic blood pressure of less than 150 or less than 180 within one hour of randomization. And they enrolled 75 patients, 39 patients with a target systolic less than 150 and 36 with a systolic target less than 180. And what they found was that despite all of the claims, perihematoma relative cerebral blood flow was similar in patients within the two groups. Um, no significant difference. They also found that perihematoma cerebral blood volume was similar between the groups and found that there was no difference 
in NIH stroke score, modified rank and scale score, Barthel index, or mortality at 90 days between the two groups. So their conclusion was that despite a lot of the concerns that rapid blood pressure lowering after a moderate volume intracerebral hemorrhage did not reduce perihematoma cerebral blood flow. Small study, not really looking primarily at clinical outcomes, but still interesting that when they looked at this, they didn't find any difference in cerebral blood flow, which is the thing that concerns most people with intensive blood pressure lowering. So moving forward, uh, another study that we looked at was the ATTACH-2 trial. Again, these studies have to have great acronyms. This was Intensive Blood Pressure Lowering in Patients with Acute Cerebral Hemorrhage, New England Journal of Medicine, September of 2016, so just a couple of months ago. And they basically sought in a lot of ways to reproduce what had been done in the INTERACT-2 trial. They did it in a slightly different setting. So this was another randomized, multi-center, open-label trial at 110 sites, this time in the U.S., Japan, China, Taiwan, South Korea, Germany, between 2011 and 2015, again enrolling patients with spontaneous intracerebral hemorrhage. They only enrolled patients who had symptom onset within 4.5 hours, so instead of 6 hours, they cut it down slightly. They randomized patients to either a goal systolic blood pressure between 140 and 179, or 110 and 139. So this is a little bit lower than what they did in the INTERACT-2 trial where they were trying to get it either below 180 or below 150. Here it's basically below 180 or below 140. Their primary outcome again involved the modified rank and scale score, only this time they used their cutoff of 4 to 6. So if your modified rank and scale score was 4 to 6, that was considered a bad outcome. Uh, 0 to 3 was considered a good outcome. They also looked at quality of life using this EQ5D utility index at three months, and then also looked at neurologic deterioration and adverse events. They enrolled 1,000 patients, split right down the middle, 500 in the intensive treatment group, 500 to standard of care. Mean age was about 62 years, and about 62% were men. Just uh, over half the patients in this study were Asian. And the mean systolic blood pressure at baseline was around 200. So pretty high blood pressure is kind of typical of what we're used to seeing. For their primary outcome, similar to the INTERACT-2 trial, they found no difference between the two groups. It occurred in 38.7% of patients in the intensive treatment group and 37.7% in the standard treatment group. Unadjusted relative risk of 1.02. 95% confidence interval from 0.83 to 1.25. So basically exact same in the two groups. They also found no difference in the ordinal distribution of the modified rank and scale score in this study, unlike in the INTERACT-2 trial. No difference in quality of life and no difference in adverse events. So some of the same issues as the INTERACT-2 trial. Uh, this was a non-blinded study, not really a study you could do blinding with very easily. Having said that, pretty well done, pretty large, randomized, pretty methodologically sound, no difference in outcomes. So the final study we looked at was a meta-analysis that came out in 2014. So obviously this did not include the ATTACH-2 trial, which of course hadn't come out at the time, uh, but it did include the INTERACT-2 trial, the INTERACT trial, the ADAPT trial, uh, and one other study that looked at this. So these four studies combined included a total of 3,315 patients, Again, mean age, 64 years, about 64% men, similar to all of the studies that were included, of course, and similar to the ATTACH-2 trial. For the primary outcome of interest, and this time it was a modified rank and scale score of 3 to 6, they found no statistically significant difference between patients in the intensive blood pressure lowering group and the standard care group. 
The odds ratio was 0.87 with a 95% confidence interval from 0.76 to 1.01. They also found no difference in mortality between the two groups. Uh, They did have a slight association with greater attenuation of absolute hematoma growth at 24 hours, uh, but it was pretty small and, again, hard to clinically quantify, especially since there was no difference in the outcomes themselves. And so basically there you have it. We've got a couple of pretty large, very methodologically sound open-label, mind you, but still methodologically sound trials, uh, the ATTACH-2 trial and the INTERACT-2 trial, both showing no improvement in modified Rankin-Scale score or mortality or any other clinically important outcome, despite the fact that one study showed that rapid blood pressure lowering did not reduce cerebral blood flow, which was the biggest concern. The meta-analysis, again, that came out before the ATTACH-2 trial, so interesting to note Um, But probably if you included that attached to trial, obviously I wouldn't expect the outcomes to be any different. So for now, I think modest blood pressure lowering is still the thing to do. Intensive blood pressure lowering, starting people on nicardipine drips if you can't get them down below 180 uh, with other methods, probably not entirely necessary. That's what the guidelines continue to say, and I would continue to treat them that way. So that's all I've got for this month. Thank you guys for listening in. As always, check out our webpage, emjclub.com, where you can subscribe to us in iTunes with a click of the button. Like us on Facebook, where we're EMJ Club, and follow us on Twitter, where we are at EMJ Club. And I hope to see you guys back next time.